Well, if you don't have a sermon outline or you could use a Bible, please raise your hand or make eye contact with those who are passing these things out so you can follow along. Because this morning we begin our new sermon series in the book of Hebrews, close to the end of the Bible. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 941. Many people in the history of the world have claimed that God has spoken to them. Have you ever wondered whether God could or would speak to you? Jews, Muslims, and Mormons all claim that God has spoken to them. Buddhists and spiritualists claim that the voice of God is everywhere and in everything. And all you have to do is find a quiet space, empty your mind, and listen. Many Christians claim that God has told them to take a certain job or to help a person in need or have a conversation with a stranger. Do you think... It is possible to hear the voice of God. Today we begin a new sermon series in the book of Hebrews. This book is all about how God speaks to humanity and what we ought to do when he does, in fact, speak. In this book, we will learn why most people can't hear God, even if they think they do. It's something you don't want to be terribly wrong about. We're looking this morning only at the first four verses of the book, page 941 of the church Bibles. These four verses contain the book's thesis. This will help us to get the big picture of the entire book. And the main idea that we'll see here is that to hear God now, you must hear His Son. That's the main idea this morning. To hear God now, you must hear His Son. The reasons for this are on your outline. First, because he used to speak to people in many different ways. But second, now he's spoken in only one way. We must pay attention to that one way if we are to hear him. And then third, because many people continue to ignore or deny God's way of speaking, we will examine what's at stake For those who won't listen. Let me pray once again and ask God to bless this reading of his word. Father in heaven, please guide us and strengthen us that we might hear what the spirit has spoken to the churches. And bless our time that we would hear your voice. Because we are listening to your son. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the voice of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of God this morning. The first thing the author of this book addresses, and therefore the first thing we must consider is point number one, how God used to speak. This paragraph begins in verse one by reminding us of how God spoke to our fathers. And by our fathers, he's not talking about a family reunion At the state park. He's not talking about the American Revolution. He's talking about the people of Israel. This book is called Hebrews because it was written to a book, a group of Hebrew or Jewish Christians. So in speaking to them, he's, he's speaking of the ancient Jewish people. He says that God spoke to these people, our fathers, verse one, by The prophets. And the way God spoke to the prophets was, the beginning of the verse, at many times and in many ways. Now, what's he getting at here? All throughout this this book of Hebrews, we are going to see as we work our way through it, that the author makes constant reference to what we call the Old Testament. This somewhat short book has more quotations of the Old Testament than any other book of the New Testament. Those, it's referring to those 39 books written before the time of Jesus Christ, where God revealed himself to humanity through the Jewish prophets. So this opening is referring in part to those written Hebrew scriptures, but only in part because he he talks not about what God has written, but about how God spoke. By referring to God's speech, he includes the written scriptures, but he also includes the many other messengers, forums, and formats God has used over the course of history to speak to people. What are those messengers, forums, and formats? Those many times in many ways. Well, God spoke to some people with an audible but disembodied voice. And, and at other times he spoke to people through a, a tangible, visible, humanoid messenger. Sometimes those messengers were called angels, which is a word that simply means messenger. And and so sometimes he spoke through angels, and sometimes he spoke in a special way by a figure named the singular angel of the Lord. 
God spoke to others through dreams in their sleep at night, and yet others he spoke to while they were fully awake and they saw ecstatic visions. That basically covers the most common ways that God spoke to people back then, but but that's not all there was. God also used many extraordinary and uncommon ways to speak to people as well. He spoke to them through a thundercloud hovering over a mountain and through a, a thundercloud hovering over a tent and a mobile thundercloud making its way across the desert. He spoke to them through a bush that was on fire but was never consumed. He spoke through dramatic nightmares. God spoke through natural disasters, through supernatural signs and wonders. He spoke sometimes through the, the, the normal circumstances of everyday life. And sometimes he spoke through the teaching and the training in a person's history. God spoke through dew falling upon a clump of fleece. He spoke through the movements of stars and planets, and he spoke through the decrees of kings and emperors. My personal favorite, God spoke on at least one occasion to someone through the voice of a talking donkey. Even among the prophets themselves, God used a variety of means to speak to people. Some of the prophets gave public speeches to declare God's messages, others had dreams or visions and they just reported on those dreams or visions. Yet others of them acted out strange little object lessons, such as laying on one side for months at a time or cooking food over a fire fueled by manure. One of the prophets called down fire from heaven and others raised the dead to life. What is the point of all this? Why does the author begin with this reminder that God has already spoken at many times and in many different ways? Well, maybe it's simply to remind his audience that our God is a speaking God. He is a God who wants to be known and who shows himself to us by speaking vulnerably. Maybe. That's what he's thinking. Maybe he wants to highlight the fact that God seeks out any and every possible means of getting his message across to people so that people might know him. And so it is the case that there are things about God that can be known at any time in all of creation. The heavens declare his power and his majesty, the earth shows us constantly his attention to detail and his desire to promote life and flourishing. Maybe this author has one of those things in mind. Maybe there are other speculations that we could add to the list. I can't conclude any of those things with certainty, but there is one thing from this text that we can conclude with certainty about why he's telling us this. The author reminds his audience of God's former methods of delivering messages in verse 1 in order to set up a dramatic contrast with his present method of delivering messages in verse 2. Verse 2 begins with the phrase, But in these last 
days. You see, now that Jesus Christ has come, died, risen and ascended into heaven, the old methods and messengers for God to deliver his messages will no longer do. The last days began with the coming of Jesus Christ. And so God's methods for speaking have now been narrowed down to just one. Point number two, how he's now spoken. Verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. If you're into underlining in your Bibles, underline that statement, highlight it. Do what you need to do because that sentence is the main point of the entire book of Hebrews. God has spoken to us by his son. At the time this was written, the former ways of God speaking were soon coming to an end. But that doesn't mean that God won't speak anymore. He certainly will. Or as he puts it more precisely, he has Spoken by his son. That's the way God has now spoken. To hear God now, you must hear his son. He no longer requires thunderclouds, prophetic visions, or visitors from heaven to get people's attention. He has spoken fully through his son. Now, the author does not name God's son here in these verses. He waits until verse 9 of chapter 2 before he actually names him. I I believe what's going on is, is the author first wants to clarify for us the office or the role of the son so that we'll understand that this title son of god has nothing to do with any sort of biological reproduction it's it has to do with a position of honor and authority okay more on that next week that's where he's going to go in the rest of chapter one but he wants us to understand this position of the son And once he establishes that fact, then he happily reveals the identity of the Son in verse 9 of chapter 2 as Jesus. Since it'll be a few weeks until we get to that verse, you should know today that the name of this Son is Jesus. Jesus is the one through whom God has now spoken. What is the impact of this? If you want to hear the voice of God today, you must hear the voice of Jesus. If you want to know God today, you must know his son, Jesus. Now, please understand, this doesn't mean that God never speaks anymore. That's not what I'm saying. What this means is that if anyone ever claims to have heard God's voice such that they have received a message from him and that message does not lead them to or through Jesus at the heart of it, then according to this passage, 
The voice that person has heard does not belong to the true God, but to someone else. Perhaps you've heard about people in the Muslim world receiving dreams and visions from God. This is wonderful to hear about because when such dreams are true, they are leading followers of Islam out of Islam and into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But by contrast... When someone writes a best-selling book about their near-death experience, where they went to heaven and back and they saw their ancestors and they learned to be a more loving person, the message they proclaim may be personally inspiring, but it is not from God unless it is about Jesus from Jesus and results in greater love and worship For Jesus. This is what I call the Jesus test of divine messaging. Okay? Any message that claims to be from God. Here's your divine messaging app. If it it aligns with a biblical view of Jesus and it leads people to worship God by receiving and resting upon Jesus then it has a very good chance of being from God. But any message where Jesus is distorted or irrelevant or Jesus is altogether absent is a message that is clearly not from God. This Jesus test for divine messaging applies just as much to the writings of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, as it applies to the sound of one hand clapping in the Himalayas, as it applies to the inner voice of a person's conscience. This is why I can spend a few days in my study examining and researching a text of Scripture, requesting the help of God's Holy Spirit, and writing out a manuscript of things to come and tell you, And then I can step up into this podium and tell you that I have a message for you from God today. To hear God now, you must hear His Son. And we aim to proclaim the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to you every week from the Scripture. To hear God now, you must hear His Son. Friends, this is the reason why most people today cannot hear God. It's because they don't want anything to do with His Son. Even in today's world, you can still go to very many places and claim to have a connection to God. And as long as you don't try to impose your view of God on other people, you'll still be considered a good citizen. But as soon as you claim that to hear from God, one must hear from and about Jesus, well, you are now considered to be narrow-minded, if not hateful. So have you ever wondered if it's possible to hear the voice of God? If you're just visiting with us today or you're 
just exploring what Christianity is all about, I'm so glad you're here today because I want you to know that yes, it is possible to hear the voice of God. The question is not whether you can hear God's voice, but whether you will. Because he has spoken in his son. Will you and I pay attention to what it is he has spoken? Because you cannot hear the voice of God only through communing with nature or through mystical experience or through any old assortment of varied spiritual texts you may choose to to consider, or even through an inner voice alone. Those forums in themselves are not enough to prove that something is from God. You can hear the voice of God today only through His Son. Now, perhaps you're wondering... Who does this preacher think he is to make such an exclusive claim? How can I dare to speak for God in such an extreme way? Am I putting God in a box by saying that you can hear his voice only through this one messenger, his son? How can I discount all those who have had mystical encounters or near-death experiences and have come to a higher level of spiritual enlightenment? Well, my first defense to any accusation of hubris on my part is only to claim that I'm simply, I'm seeking to represent this book as best I can. You can see the claim for yourself right there in verses 1 and 2. I didn't make it. I'm just showing it to you. God used to speak in many ways in former times, but now he has spoken by his son. But you see, the author of this book does not want you to simply leave it at that and take his word for it, and neither do I. So the rest of this paragraph goes on to explain why this contrast matters. Why it matters that you listen to this son and not only to all the other messengers or types of uh, messages that God sent before he sent his son. And by explaining why it matters, he's really showing us point number three. What's at stake if you won't listen to God's Son? What's at stake if you won't listen to God's Son? What the author does in the rest of this paragraph is provide Jesus' resume. And he does that through seven short statements. If you think you've heard the voice of God, but what you're listening to has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, then here are all the things you're missing out on. Or let me put it this way. If you feel like maybe you have it worse now, you wish you could go back and be like Moses and Abraham and have a thundercloud on a mountain or, or a voice, an angel come to you or a voice speak to you, that that would be better than you'll want to remember how much better it is to have Jesus speak to you than any of those other things. Okay, let me cover each of these seven statements briefly. First, we're told in verse 2 that Jesus is the one whom God appointed the heir of all things. He appointed him the heir of all things. So Jesus is son 
to the owner of heaven and earth. He's first in line of succession, so to speak. And God the Father has handed over to him as his heir all things. So what's at stake? Well, if you won't listen to Jesus, you're listening to someone who doesn't really possess heaven and earth. You're listening to someone who claims to speak for God, but really, you've just gotten distracted by an impotent imposter. Second, first, he's the heir of all things. Second, continuing in verse 2, he says that Jesus is the one through whom he created the world. Okay, so not only does Jesus own everything as the heir, but he also made everything. You see, Jesus doesn't need a warranty from the manufacturer. He is the manufacturer. He created the world. When you listen to Jesus, you have access to the builder of the universe. And so when he claims to speak for God, he can back up his authority to do so. God the Father entrusted his son with the authority to create all things. So what's at stake If you won't listen to Jesus, you're listening to someone who did not make the world. You're listening to someone who claims to speak for God, but you've been distracted by another imposter. Third, moving into verse 3, he says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. These are some fancy statements. All he simply means is that Jesus is God. The the, the nature of God. The representation of his glory is right there in Jesus. If you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. If you listen to Jesus, you're listening to God. Most creatures would be burned to cinders by the radiance of God's glory. Sort of like flying too close to the sun. But Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Next to him, that star up in the sky that we call the sun is nothing but a dimly burning wick. The fires of Jesus rage infinitely hotter and his explosions are infinitely more dangerous. So what's at stake? Well, if you won't listen to Jesus... By definition, you're listening to someone who is not the embodiment of God made visible and accessible to us creatures. You are listening to someone who claims to speak for God, but really you've been distracted by another imposter. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Fourth, verse 3 continues by explaining that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. What he's getting at here is that Jesus not only created everything, Jesus is the one who keeps everything running. He upholds the universe. You see, the reason why the earth circles the sun every 365 days Five hours, 59 minutes, and 16 seconds, thank you, teacher Shrek and Gast, is because Jesus 
makes it so. The reason that things accelerate toward the earth at a rate of 9.8 meters per second is because, meters per second squared, excuse me, is because Jesus made it so. The reason your heart keeps beating, the reason your blood keeps pumping, the reason your body continues to regenerate cells and heal your wounds, all of that is because Jesus makes it so. And did you see in this verse, what is the way that Jesus makes it so? It's by the word of his power. He simply speaks these things forth. Just as he created the light and the darkness, the sky and the sea by speaking them into existence, so now he speaks forth life and health to you. He commands your blood to continue flowing. And he commands your feet to remain rooted to the earth so you don't go flying off into outer space. Now, science is fantastic, and it has helped us for generations to put numbers and labels on these things. But please, friends, don't lose sight of the mystery of Jesus' power. Gravity works the way it does because Jesus says that it is so. Human flourishing is possible because Jesus speaks words of blessing and power over you. So what's at stake? If you won't listen to Jesus, you are listening to someone who cannot control all things. You are listening to someone who does not actively promote your flourishing. You are listening to someone who claims to speak for God but you've been distracted by another imposter. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Fifth, he says in verse 3 that Jesus made purification for sins. You see, though Jesus created us and he holds us together by his powerful word and he wants to promote our flourishing, we turned away from him. We do so daily. Humanity has been living for all time in rebellion against our God and Father. We turn away from Him every time we decide to live for ourselves and for our own sense of self-worth and autonomy instead of giving thanks to the one who created us. But Jesus wasn't okay with that state of human rebellion continuing forever. He is God, and he became a human being himself. No joke, no tricks, no illusions, real flesh and blood. And then he died in our place to pay for all the sin we could never have paid for ourselves. So friends, what's at stake If you won't listen to Jesus, you're listening to someone who didn't and who can't purify you from sin. You are listening to someone who claims to speak for God, but really you've been distracted by another imposter. 
Jesus is the one who made purifications for sin. Sixth, he says at the end of verse 3 that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand is the place of highest authority under the high king. So God the Son became a man, he did his work, he purified sins, and then he sat down at the Father's right hand. That is the position of delegated authority and rule over all things. And the fact that he sat down means that his work of purification was done. There is nothing more to be done there. The point here is important. He's saying that Jesus being at the right hand of the majesty on high, he is the only person in the universe who has been authorized by God the Father to rule and to speak on his behalf. Do you understand that? Jesus is the only person in the universe authorized by God to speak for God. And so anyone who claims to speak for God, who does not speak through, by, about, on behalf of Jesus, they're not authorized to say what they're saying. What's at stake? If you won't listen to Jesus, you are listening to someone who is unauthorized by God to speak for God. You are listening to someone who claims to speak for God, but they're just another imposter. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And seventh and finally, Jesus in verse 4 is superior to angels. And this is perhaps the most climactic point of the seven. But us today, we're like, what? What does that mean? We'll come back next week. Because it takes the rest of chapter 1 to explain this last point about superior to the angels. And that's next week's sermon. But the point for now, let me briefly say that angels are messengers of God. That's literally what the word angel means in the original languages. It's a messenger. They were the ones God used to send and to deliver messages. Excuse me, messages. But he's saying here in verse 4 that Jesus is a superior messenger. And there's an important point for us here. Because if you listen to a voice other than Jesus, please know this whole sermon, I've not been saying that you're imagining things. I'm not saying that you're hallucinating. The voice you are listening to may in fact be a real voice and it may be a supernatural voice. I'm not trying to tell you that dreams and visions or near-death experiences are only inventions or hallucinations. No, such things can be very real. But if they don't direct people to Jesus, they are not from God. It is altogether possible that they are coming from other supernatural beings, such as angels, including those angels who have rebelled against God, whom we more commonly call demons. 
This is why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 that if you receive another message that is allegedly from God, but it's a message other than the kingdom of God offered through the person of Jesus, Paul says, even if you receive that message from an angel, from a supernatural being, you are not on your way to heaven. You are on your way to hell. So what's at stake? If you won't listen to Jesus, you're listening to someone, perhaps even a supernatural being, who is deceiving you. You are listening to someone who claims to speak for God. But you've been distracted by another imposter. So in conclusion, to hear God now, you must hear his son. Please listen to Jesus. You don't need to wait for a fuller experience of God. You don't need a more audible inner voice in order for God to speak to you. You already have everything you need in God's Son. If you won't listen to Him, if you think you need something else, you're missing out on the one who created all things. The one who has inherited everything. The one who came from God and who is God. You are missing out on the only one in the universe who has been authorized to speak for God. Most people can't hear God because they won't listen to Jesus. And if you won't listen to Jesus, I must ask, did you really want to listen to God in the first place? Is he the one you were seeking? Because God wants to show you his son, the only one who can rescue you, who can comfort you, who can bring you safely home in the end. So yes, God can speak to you. He has already done so in his son, Jesus Christ. Will you listen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have spoken. You are not distant. You are not aloof. You are not impossible to know or forever shut off from us. You want to be known and you have made yourself known in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. Please give us ears to hear. May we love Jesus as you have loved Jesus. May we love him as he has loved us. Help us to have the wisdom and the discernment amid all the competing voices and messages around us that we would hear Jesus and pay much closer attention to him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.